Welcome to the Unexpected Leader Podcast. You know, in the past, God chose to call fishermen and tax collectors to join him on his mission. Today, he still calls the broken. They may be sons and daughters of mechanics or of business women and men. You may be one of them in a position of lay or vocational leadership in a church or a mission agency. But if you, like me, find yourself unexpectedly in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This season, we're looking at young leaders and their journey. Thanks for taking the time to listen in. We want to thank you for uh, joining us today on the Unexpected Leader Podcast. I'm joined today with my co-host, Lois Mitchell. Hey, Gareth. It's good to be here with you. Lois and I are joined today by Tyler Prout. Tyler, welcome. Thanks, Gareth. Thanks, Lois. It's great to uh, great to be part of this. Yeah, good to have you here. Tyler, so we just get started out, uh, for those who are tuning in and listening or those who have downloaded this podcast, maybe you can just give uh, a brief uh, context of where you're doing ministry right now. Sure, yeah. I work uh, with Cornerstone Baptist Church on PEI, and I'm uh, one of the site pastors. We're a multi-site church, and uh, our site is down in Montague the Beautiful, kind of a small fishing farming area of the island on the, on the East Coast. And uh, it's been a... Kind of four years since we've been there. We've done a, a relaunch. It was an existing Baptist church and we've come in and, and uh, there was a beautiful story of merger and uh, looking for a future of ministry uh, with that church. So that's that's been our role is, is kind of being there since that merger. Oh, that's great. I remember being, I think it was on the relaunch night. I had mm-hmm. the privilege of being there and uh, it was good to kind of see what had gone on. Tyler, just uh, as we begin, you know, this is, we call it the unexpected leader. And so just reflecting on your own journey, take us back maybe into high school and just what was going on for you as you were in high school, maybe thinking about what was coming up, you know, when you were in grade 11, were you thinking, oh, ministry? Yeah, that's what I want to do. Well, not not exactly. I I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I had all kinds of aspirations and dreams, ranging from architecture to maybe go out west and do the RCMP thing or whatever. And uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My grandfather was a pastor. I loved church. Uh, I loved youth group. I loved the the friendships I had there, the mentorship that I had from from people at the the church that I went to youth group at. And I went to youth camp one one summer and had kind of a supernatural experience where the speaker kind of pointed me out in a really awkward way. From that moment, it, it was this sense of whatever I was going to do, it was going to be kingdom-centered, something something for God, with God. And I had all kinds of ideas what that might be at that point. It wasn't necessarily pastoral ministry or preaching on a Sunday or working in a local church the way that I am now. But since then, God's kind of led my path in that direction. And I find myself working at a local church now. So when you think about um, those early days and trying to figure that out and navigating through what it means for God to invite you onto this journey kind of unexpectedly, who was there along the way for you that kind of helped you navigate that? Or, you know, were you reading anybody or were you, you know, listening to podcasts or reading other blogs? That was before I discovered podcasts. I'm an addict now, but um, at the time, uh, there was an assistant pastor at the the Pentecostal church that I went to youth group at. His name was uh, Josh Singh, and he was an incredible mentor for me and another friend of mine. 
where we both felt a call to ministry of some sort at that same kind of camp event. And ever since then, he kind of pulled us in under his wing and mentored us and met with us regularly, gave us opportunities to be responsible for areas of ministry, to dip our toes in, to help lead youth group devotionals or help plan uh, a canoe trip that we had no business planning. Um, all, all these kind of great opportunities, uh, opportunities to, to learn and grow and to fail um, and to help teach us in the midst of that. Like we'd work through books and things like that together. And so me and my, my buddy, we interned for three summers, I think, with this church uh, through summer grant programs and things like that. And it was really in those times where through uh, Josh's mentorship, uh, Phil Taylor, who's still the senior pastor at Calvary, he really gave us opportunity to see what ministry's like. And I think it was in that context that I really felt like this is this is what God has called me to. These are the giftings that, that I feel like I have and that I'm being affirmed in and that really pointed me towards ministry and in, in the expression that I'm part of now. At what point in time, and maybe it's yet to happen, did you come to a point where you said, oh yeah, local pastoral ministry? After my first semester of Bible college, I'm someone who, I love music, I love leading worship. That was one of the areas of responsibility that that my mentors and pastors graciously allowed me to, to be a part of. Um, so that's what I thought I was being called to or was going to do. So I, I started at Kingswood University, it's Bethany Bible College at the time, and they had a, a Bachelor of Arts in Music Ministry that I started my first semester in. And I was always jealous of my friends who were in the pastoral program of the stuff that they were learning and learning how to preach. And I had this growing sense through interning at this local church that pastoral ministry would be more what God was calling me into. So I switched programs. I was affirmed in that. And through that, I opportunities came up for, for me to be involved in ministry that way. It sounds, Tyler, like you've mentioned a, a number of different times and people that were mentors. But even going back to before you felt any call to ministry, you had mentioned mentors in your church. So when I, you think about your ministry now, um, do you see that same kind of mentoring model happening in, in your church now? Sure, definitely. And something I love about working at Cornerstone is I'm not a solo pastor of a country church. I'm a, a site pastor of a multi-site church with multiple staff and multiple pastors and great leadership, great team of elders who, who are a great support and uh, who care for us as pastors. And being on a team with, with uh, Philip Woodworth, our senior pastor, and Gordon Dickinson, uh, our Stratford site pastor, and Dana Ingersoll, who's worship. Uh, visitation pastor, primarily at our Cornwall site. It's, it's a great team to be part of. And these are men who have far more experience in ministry than I do, uh, who are gracious with me, who give me opportunities, who I can learn with and learn from and work together with. Phil's great in terms of having opportunities to, to have one-on-one -on -one times with him to, to work through things, you know, not just on a ministry level, but on a personal level which is fantastic uh, in terms of mentorship. And, and I, I don't think I would, I would want to be part of, of ministry in this way apart from having some kind of mentorship, especially at my age and greenness. 
in this field. But what you're describing in a way, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting because it really is a different model. So we have hundreds, literally hundreds of small churches spread across the Atlantic provinces. And not to suggest that that's not a model that will continue, I'm sure it will. But in this case, it seemed like uh, you talked about the church having this opportunity and this merger. Is that a model that you think should be encouraged, or is it just kind of the thing that every now and again it's just going to work out that way? Uh, in terms of leadership, is it a good model that should be considered and even promoted? I think any time that there's an opportunity to work together with other people in, in kingdom things, uh, working together is fantastic. So in our case, the Montague United Baptist Church was struggling for years, hadn't had a, a full-time pastor for a while. It'd been a long time since they'd had a pastor who actually lived in Montague in the, in the community. And through some courageous steps uh, by a couple, uh, Jim and Isabel Slater uh, specifically, they approached Phil at a, I think it was an association meeting here at the, the Cornwall site of Cornerstone about some potential help. And one thing led to another and the conversation became, what if Montague United Baptist Church became Cornerstone Montague site? I happened to be interning with Cornerstone at the time, speaking of unexpected leader, kind of thrown into this situation and really cool opportunity. And the way it presented itself was very much not anything that we had planned or expected, not something we had strategized, you know, in our five or 10 year strategic plan that we were going to merge with a, a smaller church in our convention in a, in a small town on the east coast of PEI. But this was the opportunity that God brought before us, before the congregation in Montague and, and Cornerstone. So I think if God continues to bring opportunities like that, I think it worked really well for us. And God has been faithful in the midst of that. Anytime there can be work done together for the sake of the kingdom, I think it's a, a fantastic thing. So how far is Montague from the Cornwall Church? Sure, yeah, it is. Um, I time it because I drive in for staff meetings. It's like 45 and a half minutes if I'm driving the speed limit, uh, which I do. Of course you are. Yeah, yeah so we're, we're probably the furthest site away. Um, the Stratford site is maybe 20 some minutes from here east. And then we're another 25 minutes east of, of Stratford. And it's worked well from your perspective. Had, were, was there pushback from the congregation or was this has this just been everyone seen this as a, a good idea. Anytime there are big drastic decisions and changes being made, you're never going to have a hundred percent buy-in, I, I think, from my experience at least. But for the most part, we've had a solid core group of people from the Montague United Baptist Church who are still part of the congregation today, who are here because they believe that God wants to do things in Montague and that being a part of Cornerstone is a way that this congregation can uh, be a part of that. So there's been overwhelming support from from con the congregation in Montague. Of course, challenges along the way, and that's that's just part of the reality of ministry. But it's been great to see how how God has brought this about. Tyler, what's been the most unexpected thing that you've come across so far in the four years that you've been leading at uh, Montague? I think just the realities of, of being part of a multi-site ministry, it comes with its own unique challenges and victories and everything happened very fast, I feel like for us. Uh, Phil was approached in like November, November, 
elders had a conversation in December. I started interning that January and throughout that time there were talks and votes and things happening. The Montague Church shut down in June and we relaunched the next Thanksgiving uh, weekend uh, in October. So within a year, this this transition took place and we're learning on the fly in, in the midst of all. I'm learning, especially on the fly, kind of uh, being thrown into this. And so just working through the complexities of what does it mean for us to be not a church with two locations, but a church with three locations, one church with three sites. And that, that has its unique challenges of of identity. The congregation in Montague is uniquely different than Stratford or Cornwall, but at the same time, we're one church and there's a common DNA that we share that way. So there's there's been this maybe unexpected, but shouldn't be unexpected maybe, challenge of our identity and our mission as, and a purpose as, as one church in three different communities, uh, three drastically different communities socioeconomically, geographically across the island. The way people talk in Montague is different than how people talk in Cornwall and Stratford. Uh, the kind of jobs that people have are very different. The sense of rural pride in Montague is very different than in you know Stratford or Cornwall. It's more like a, a, a culmination of unique, unexpected things rather than probably one big uh, item. Oh, that's neat. I appreciate how you put that. So uh, as part of Unexpected Leader, we're doing a series on uh, young leaders, which you fit that category, and uh, and also second chairs. So sometimes when we think of leaders, we often think of the senior pastor or the lead pastor. You've identified that you're a site pastor uh, for one of the Cornerstone congregations. For you, how has it been being in that second chair? Is that a comfort zone for you? Uh, is that, you know, not to tell stories on Phil at all, but do you find yourself biting your tongue at times or just talk to us about the leadership sure. culture? Yeah, I, I think that's been something that in the four years that I've been part of Cornerstone, I've grown in and helped kind of develop my understanding of what it means for me to be, in a sense, a lead pastor of a congregation, but a staff pastor, a second chair of the church as a whole. And so I think early on in my time, Phil and I especially were having conversations of, you know, what does it mean for the ministry that we want to do in Montague or or the vision that I see or what God's laying on my heart for this community and this congregation to be within the mission and vision and ministry of Cornerstone as a whole, but still have a uniqueness to it that is tailored specifically to this community that Phil or Gordon don't live in or don't visit, you know, on a regular basis that, that we have kind of a, a finger on the pulse of a lot more. So there, there's been a lot of working through, a lot of adjusting our model. Um, and it, it's, it's an ongoing process. I think there's been a lot of graciousness and a lot of, a lot of room that we've been given uh, to lead well in our own sites. I think if anything, we are really good at celebrating the threeness of what it means to be one church at three sites. And we struggle to understand how to communicate and express and to do ministry as, as one church. So in some ways I'm able to lead well under the kind of protection and leadership of Phil and our elders, but still working out what it means to be a unique site and, and part of something bigger. So it's our hope that there'd be people out there listening to this podcast who would both be in lead positions maybe and people who are chairs of boards or on leadership teams uh, in lay roles in their congregations. And some of them may be looking at hiring a second chair or emerging leaders 
What, what kind of advice would you want to give them uh, that has helped you navigate and find your leadership grounding? I think something that I, I have appreciated about being here and I think would be helpful to other people in, in hiring uh, young leaders is giving people the, the chance to try and to fail and, and backing them in that, but also providing spaces for them to, to grow in mentorship and learning. I mean, the church is, is gracious to, to help me to continue my education and I'm, I'm picking away at an MDiv right now um, through Acadia, but um, I came here with, with just an undergrad out of a ministry school and the church, even though I was 21, 22 when I came on board, they took a chance on a young guy who can't grow facial hair and uh, they've given me chances to, to swing for the fences. And there have been times where I have struck out pretty hard, but they have been gracious to say this is this is part of learning and growing in ministry. And then, yeah, things like the, the mentorship that I get with the staff is is crucial, I think, to to being a, a young leader in this kind of a role. So if you are on a board or if you are a lead pastor and you're you're considering maybe bringing on someone younger, I think there are amazing upsides to having someone young and energetic who may have different ideas and some ways that they'll swing for the fences that, that you may not, but giving them the opportunity to do that is incredibly helpful. But pull them in under your wing and don't let them try to figure things out and fail on their own to be able to do that you know, with you as a already established leader in a church or uh, setting them up with ways to continue to grow, I think is essential. Tyler, you'd mentioned um, that your three sites and one church, but it has sometimes you've done, you've done the, the three and not the one as well. And then you'd also alluded to the cultural differences between the communities. And I'm really sensitive to that in, in my home setting. So um, do you find, uh, like, so, in, and I, we also heard when we, when we talked to Phil, um, the, the process of sermon preparation that you guys go through, which sounds amazing. So would I be correct in assuming that you work together on the sermon prep, but you each deliver your own sermon in your own context, so you would then contextualize it for your congregation and Phil would and, and uh, Gord would. Do you find the, the cultural, translating cultural, is that a challenge in this kind of a setup where you're three and three and one? I think it, it can be challenging, but I think it becomes more natural with time where we're kind of in a routine now where during the summers or, or throughout the year, we'll, we'll get together and piece together sermon series that we'll do at all three of our sites. We'll kind of have at the end of, you know, a week, the skeletons of the, the sermon outlines kind of put together and the directions we're heading. But there is great freedom within that for us to tailor application or illustrations or just even the, the way we deliver our sermons to our unique congregations. You know, preaching here in Cornwall is very different than the Montague site where you can't be anonymous in the congregation in Montague the way you can uh, in Cornwall here and, and the ways that you point out things or the way you talk about, you know, town means Charlottetown and town doesn't mean Montague. If you're going to town, you're going to Charlottetown. So even just nuances of language like that uh, at different sites, it's more natural to me now because I've lived in Montague for the past four years. So as someone who grew up in Charlottetown, who's now in Montague, uh, my wife and I are, are transitioning to be better uh, rural citizens of PEI. 
Yeah, it's become easier over time, but there is different nuances that I think as pastors of those of those sites, hopefully we know our congregations well enough to know how, how to bring things across to each congregation well. Tyler, one of the original ideas of doing the podcast was also to be able to kind of find out from our pastors, what types of conversations they're having with their congregations. What would be the top two or three uh, conversations that you would have on a regular basis with people who are coming to the Montague site? We're in a very unique situation in Montague where at kind of this time and place in history, we have an influx of Buddhist monks and monasteries being established all over the place uh, with acres and acres of land being bought by Chinese investors to build monasteries on. And so you can't drive around Montague or go to the grocery store without seeing monks or uh, seeing the Amish who have recently moved into our area. So it's becoming a religiously diverse area. And so, I mean, you can't go to Tim Hortons in Montague without the monks being part of conversation or, you know, the the posters that are up for palm readings and tarot cards and, and things like that. It's a very spiritually, spiritually diverse and very concentrated area, I guess. So in our congregation, we've been having a lot of conversations of what does it mean for us to be committed to following Jesus and believe that Jesus is the answer for humanity in a town that once was, you're either Protestant or Catholic, but now you could be a Buddhist monk or you could be Amish or you could be into the occult or psychic readings or what have you. And what does it mean to follow Jesus in that kind of a a spiritually diverse context? Something I've really enjoyed this summer is we, we did a preaching series through the different religions and spiritualities and worldviews in our town and how in the spirit of Paul in Acts 17 in Athens, speaking Jesus in the context of what the Athenians would understand, how, how do I talk about Jesus being the answer to the longings of the Buddhist monk? Um, and really trying to pastor our people well in understanding these worldviews and these religions, but still understanding how Jesus is the answer to the longings that the Buddhist has to rid themselves of their desires or of the Amish who out of you know the deep devotion of their ancestors to this Anabaptist tradition have found themselves in a, a legalistic community where there is no freedom to express joy in Christ in, in the way that, that we're able to. So that's been a big conversation uh, for us as a church lately. Wow, that's huge. Mm-hmm. You know, to think about that. But it's interesting. Last fall, my wife and I were on a trip to uh, the Miramichi area and we drove, we live in St. Stephen, New Brunswick. And so we drove down from Miramichi to, to Fredericton and then down to St. Stephen. And on the, on the road between Miramichi and Fredericton, out in the middle of the country, here up on the sign of, you know, uh, a Women's Institute Hall was uh, an announcement that there was going to be a palm reading Thursday night at seven o'clock. I, I got thinking about how open our culture is to the dialogue, discussion of uh, multiple levels of spirituality and religions. And so, you know, there in Montague, 
you know, multiple pieces coming together for that to be uh, right in front of you and your congregation. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. I was just recently to a conference uh, weekend, I think last weekend, an academic conference, and it was on uh, teaching climate change in, to, in post-secondary institutions and a wide variety of disciplines and uh, people only 30 of us participated, but from different universities and different disciplines. And it was fascinating. A couple people were coming from, you know, sort of a more either religious studies perspective or their uh, specifically Buddhist perspective, even noting the, the, the relative comfort of talking about Buddhist perspectives on climate and the environment. I, I guess I still have a little bit of hesitation about speaking Christian perspectives into those kind of public settings, academic settings. So, but fascinating in a place like Montague and in a place like Prince Edward Island to encounter that kind of diversity, which isn't typical, I don't think, of most communities, even in Atlantic Canada. Yeah, definitely not. Tyler, one of the questions that we started in our first season was kind of wrapping up with this question that says, what, what advice would you give to yourself when you would have started on that journey? So if you can kind of go back to that time when you were wrestling with and trying to kind of fully understand what God was doing in your life and inviting you into pastoral ministry. Um, if there's somebody else out there who might be at that same stage and you were giving them advice today, and if you can go and apply that also to yourself back then, what advice would that be? I think coming into ministry, I had a very specific picture of what a pastor is meant to be, that you're someone who preaches a, a sermon on Sunday and you lead a a Bible study or a small group, you know, you do counseling. And I think just from experience, my short experience, the rigidity of that model is very, very different. Um, I was trying, I think, to fit myself into someone else's shoes when I came into pastoral ministry, uh, from the way I dressed to the way I talked to how I delivered a sermon. And, and probably just out of lack of experience and these are the guys I listen to on podcasts, or these are the the models and mentors that that I've looked up to, that help me understand what a, what a pastor is. But I think what it's come down to for me lately has been a lot more of how am I being a disciple of Jesus, and how can I encourage people to come along. I'm focusing a lot more these days on my own spiritual formation and where my heart is and that kind of thing, rather than my preaching chops, which in my first year in Montague, my first two years, the way I preach the sermon is, is entirely different from how I do now because I, I thought I had to nail these perfect things or have this perfect structure in, in my sermon outline or, or something like that, where I don't care about that near as much right now. I'm, and I'm much more concerned about where my heart is, where my heart is for my congregation Am I being a pastor or just a, a preacher? And, and to be a, a disciple, uh, an apprentice of Jesus, rather than pastor being a, an office that I fill or a role that I play and, and to be who God has uniquely created me to be and to be that faithfully in the midst of this congregation that he's placed me in. Thanks for listening to the Unexpected Leader podcast from the Canadian Baptist of Atlantic Canada. We're a family of over 450 churches and organizations joined together with the mission of joining God in our neighborhoods. We're praying this will be an encouraging, stimulating resource for you, wherever you're at on your own journey. You might also be considering whether God is unexpectedly calling you as a leader. 
And if that is you, we invite you to head over to www.yourcalling.ca and check out the content we've created just for you. Again, that website address is www.yourcalling.ca.